You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, it's David here. Now, as you'll know, it's International Week and that means there hasn't been an awful lot of football for us to talk about. Uh, well, certainly not Rangers related. And that would have left us normally without a show today. So what we thought we would do to maybe uh, fill your ears is uh, a little bit of sneaky marketing as well is provide one of our shows from our Patreon site, The Wonderful Time Capsule with Martin Ramsey. Now, what Martin does in his show every week is uh, goes back to a Rangers game from the past and looks at everything around it in great detail detail not just what was happening on the pitch not just the match itself but also what was happening in the world at the time very much as the title suggests a snapshot of where we were when a match took place and we thought there would be nowhere better to go this week after everything that's been going on than to May 1996 and Paul Gascoigne's virtuoso display as Rangers destroyed Aberdeen 3-1 to win eight in a row. If you like the show please consider subscribing to Patreon there are lots and lots of quality items like it. We will be back on Thursday with a preview of the Hamilton match, but I hope you enjoy this. If you do, it's patreon.com forward slash heart and hand and for one ninety nine a month you'll be able to get well forty eight episodes of this show and plenty more like it. Thanks to our producers in London Mike Lee and Paul Myers and I will talk to you again on Thursday. Till then take care. Cheers. Hello there, I'm Martin Ramsey and welcome to episode 7 of the Time Capsule. This week we are back in 1996 to revisit the first time that the Scottish League title was decided live on TV and it would be decided, fittingly, by Scotland's Player of the Year. My guest this week, with back-to-back appearances, is the voice of heart and hand, Mr David Edgar. Welcome back, David. I, I feel now that I'm settling into the first team on the time capsule. Uh, I've started to get a bit of a run of games under my belt and just building up that confidence level. You're into your stride now. Yes. Um, what were you up to in the spring of 1996? 
a kind of pivotal time for young Edgar, actually, um, was the, 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 the spring going into the summer of 1996. I had finished my first year at university, which was at Stirling University, which had ended in a fairly spectacular uh, car crash of my life, the first and sadly not the last, and was currently plotting my escape from it to transfer to Strathclyde Uni for... Uh, Permanently, I was going to say for the following year, but permanently, and moved back home, and all that was was sort of being arranged. And this was my last couple of weeks at Stirling Uni, and then that summer was one of the best summers I've ever had. It was just fantastic. Euro '96 was on; it was a wonderful time. Started at Strathclyde in the September, and uh, met my uh, future wife, my first wife. So '96 was a great year. Started really badly for me, but got better and better and better. And Rangers um, sort of were a good barometer of that. Yeah, we'll go into that in a moment. Um, as always, we like to. Take a look back at what was happening around. Oh no the no, time no 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 no! You question. don't get to you don't get to just hear mine. That's what I've showed you mine. You need to show well, me. Um, Fifteen and um, just about to do standard grades, I think, which were generally speaking a breeze. Um, yeah, I was. I think Hoggy and I talked about this in the Loudrop Cup final, which is obviously a game that only happened three weeks after this one. Um, just really excited for. Everything the summer um, had in store, um, and the music was good, and life was good, and the Rangers were good. It was a yeah, it was. It was a great summer, <laughs> sunny time. And I would <laughs> happily go back there and spend three months back there. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we might we might revisit that um, later on in the year. Um, at the cinema at this time, um, Terry Gilliam's Twelve Monkeys with Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt was the, the yeah. biggest movie yeah. released um, around that time, along with Woody Allen's Mighty Aphrodite. You could still see Toy Story in certain cinemas, um, which was released earlier in the year, uh, and uh, an Oliver Stone biopic that I'm sure you've seen umpteen times. Yes. Next. <laughs> My favourite movie of all time, yes, I could act in the fucking thing. Um, but what a cast! I mean, really? spectacular cast. Uh, James Woods as Haldeman, that guy who was the bad guy in Good Morning Vietnam, that I can't remember his name, as Ehrlichman. Uh, the brilliantly cast David Hyde Pierce of Frasier fame. As John Dean, he was... He looks very like him as well. Though. Oh man, it's a great bit of casting. Powers Booth, I fucking love Powers Booth. He is just awesome. Um, he plays Haig. And, of course, Hopkins with a, a decent Nixon. I've seen better. Um, but a good performance. And uh, who was the, the lady that plays his... I can never remember her name. The the sort of... She was in Pleasantville as well. Ah, uh, it's going for me uh, now. You know the one I mean. But she she's yeah. fantastic as Pat Nixon, which isn't a... I heartily recommend this movie to everyone. It's a fabulous film. doesn't take too many liberties, especially for an Oliver Stone movie. Maybe... Unlike JFK, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you're thinking along those lines, it's not like that. It's it's actually a reasonably faithful biopic. And mm-hmm. he doesn't like Nixon, clearly, but it's a reasonably fair portrayal of him. So no, no, yeah, I highly recommend it. Highly recommend that movie. Um... Alanis Morissette was top of the album charts with Jagged Little Pill. I fucking and, hated that. Right. <laughs> now, having been, as I say, at uni, it seemed compulsory for every mopey bird at university to have a copy of that fucking album. And I remember actually falling out with a girl 
and she just played this record constantly. She said, well, it's so true, men are always fucking women over. And I said, yes, it's because you listen to dreary fucking shite like that and you deserve it. I hated that record and it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Um, and as it was 1996, so was Morning Glory because it's still in the top three by then. Um, in the top 20 singles charts, the Manic Street Preachers are there, number four with Design for Life, and Children by Robert Miles was still holding its own. Wow. The perfect go-to tune for BBC sports producers when they needed a soundbed upon which to put a kind of goals compilation <laughs> um, rounding up the action from, from the weekend. It was there pretty much through the rest of the 90s from what I can remember. It's uh, That is your kind of mid-90s provincial nightclub soundtrack. It would be Children. Yeah. By Robert Miles, um, uh, Ooh, uh, just a little bit by Gina G and the Tamperer. Uh, that was which back then you could name a band the the Tamperer and uh, <laughs> still get played on on the BBC. Whereas these days, yeah, it wasn't literal. Yeah, a bit too close to home. But uh, yeah, that just reminds me of Nightclub, where everyone would be wearing garishly coloured Ben Sherman shirts. I remember that was the Vogue. Uh, an awful lot of very loud colours. Uh, it, it wasn't like it was today, and everybody having the uh, the kind of Lee Dixon curtains hairdo as well. Yeah. Uh, there were a few fledgling attempts to grow uh, from from a few people to go for the full uh, Liam Gallagher sort of uh, beetle cut, but I, I think you can only really get away with that if you are in fact a Gallagher. Yeah, I can. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, George Michael released Fast Love that week, a salute to One Night Stands, and was rewarded with the number one spot for the next three weeks. It would be two years after this, of course, when one of his later releases would reward him with a £500 fine <laughs> and 80 hours of community service. Uh, Phil George Michael, he never really got his head around the whole just be gay thing, did he? <laughs> you know, just, just, there's no need for all this. Partly the reason that he stayed in the closet so long was that he didn't want to tell his mum. And then, yeah, you look back at the videos, the, the Wham videos from the 80s, and you think, she must have known on some level. Yeah, you, you didn't need Colombo in there. <laughs> um, looking back at the news at the time, um, it's hard not to see the, 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 the pertinence to today. Uh, I try not to timestamp these shows, and sadly, this probably won't do it either. Uh, at the time of recording... Um, the news is, is filled with America's deadly struggle with gun laws. Whenever you listen to this, be it the afternoon it's released or six months or a year from now, that's probably most likely still going to be the case. In April 1996, Britain was dealing with the aftermath of its um, gun atrocity um, in, in Dumblain. Um, and the week that we're talking about here, the leading up to the game, um, it's when the campaign to ban handguns was starting to gain cross-party parliamentary support um, was really starting to catch fire um, and uh, you know the daily record was was very much behind it devoting uh, front pages to that um, the day before the game um, Australia would go through the same traumatic process um, when there was a, a similar mass shooting in Tasmania um, and the impact of, of both countries responses 20 years on um, is evident um, in 1996, the average salary was just under 14k. It cost you 61p a litre to fill up your car and was £1.72 a pint. Now, David, um, to the Rangers and the build-up to this match. Uh, it's fair to say that this was probably the first time in five years that we'd actually been in a title race. Yeah, that's that's a fair way to put it. 
Um, Celtic had improved dramatically, exponentially that season because although they'd won the cup the previous year, uh, it, they'd never really looked like a side who had the consistency to trouble us. This season, with of course bringing in um, a number of decent attacking players that Celtic had a lot more about them, uh, they were a settled side, Burns had them playing good football and although it's overplayed, you know, yeah, I, we'll get to that in a moment because it really is overplayed. It's stuck in my throat. Uh, yeah, I was gonna, just... I was gonna say, although it's overplayed, you would think, listening to kind of some some Tim historians, that this was kind of Valencia two thousand two thousand and one in terms of wonderful sides that never got the reward. They weren't. They were a good side, but what they were adept at for the first time in years was knocking off the rest of the Premier League kind of in the way Aberdeen do now and again I don't like to timestamp it but this will probably be the same as you said in a year <laughs> you know while Derek McInnes is there that Aberdeen the ability to beat everyone who's not important that was kind of what Celtic had but of course it was a Tommy Burns trait that they just did not he did not have the emotional capacity I think to be able to overcome Rangers when it really mattered and I think that Walter yeah. had the calmness yeah. that he didn't have They only lost one league game all season that was the first old firm game of the season when, when um, we won 2-0 uh, Gascoigne scored in the second of course Alec Cleland of all people um, getting the first we would knock them out of both cups the, the quarter final of the league cup at Parkhead McCoy scoring um, a header at the back post from a very deep Gascoigne cross and the Scottish Cup semi-final at Hamden we won 2-1 an absolutely excellent game from memory um, after the third Old Firm game of the season 3rd of January 0-0 um, we are 8 points clear but we've, we've played 2 games more they get those 2 games in pretty quickly after that so we go into the weekend of January the 20th only 2 points ahead and level in games we lost 3-0 at home to Hearts uh, and Alan Johnson hat-trick but they can only draw a nil-nil at Rugby Park so it's cut down to one the final Old Firm game I think was March the 17th um, again another draw um, 1-1 this time and we end up three points ahead because they drew away to Falkirk um, I think the week before or two weeks before um, nil-nil again and it's this cavalier football was the, the term that was used pretty much all through that season not sure how widely spread across the media it was used David but certainly Radio Clyde that's that's all they ever talked about we scored 10 more goals than they did we conceded the same it is one of the myths um, of the era yes absolutely Celtic uh, there are a lot of good performances from Celtic but look where they come they come at Parkhead and they come against sides you would expect them to beat and they did and, and fair play to them because they hadn't done for the first half of that decade so yes it's you know worthy of praise if you're a Celtic fan but it's not that impressive if you're not they're doing what you would sort of call par for them uh, at that stage but because they hadn't for a long time then I think that people who were who had a fondness for them attach a greater significance to it and maybe you know having watched guys like uh, Wayne Biggins, Tony Cascarino, Carol Muggleton, etc. Even just two or three years before, of course, that they are going to be thinking this is this is amazing, this is spectacular. In much the same way as we probably overpraised the Warburton first few months because mm. the comparison to what we'd been watching was was so big. But it's 
I, I wrote about this in my book, which is still available, 21st Century Blue, being a bear in the modern world, um, called by at least one of the podders on this show, The Greatest Scottish Book Since Train Spotting. And I, it kind of annoys me that this mid-90s Rangers team, which was excellent, is sort of treated like almost 11 big muscular guys trying to kind of deflect the ball towards the opposition net and hoping that it, it bounces in. We could play some terrific stuff. There were some real doings administered by that Rangers team. And when we were in our groove, as was proven repeatedly, nobody in that league could live with us. And when we weren't in our groove, we could dig it out and they couldn't. Yeah. The day after the game, um, Burns gave an interview to the records, um, basically congratulating Rangers uh, winning the league and, and really Paul Gasco, you got to hold your hands up, the guy's a genius, he's world class, he's a difference. Um you know, they they had won the cup the year before, they didn't win anything this season. But and I quote, we we won back the, the, the support of the fans. So that, that that that's that's what was important, I guess. He was big um, on that kind of stuff, Burns. You know, he was emotional. I remember Alan Stubbs, of all people, we was talking about Jansen and the difference between them. And this is a good bit after it. And he said Tommy was a better coach than Jansen. He said Tommy was a better man manager than Jansen. He said, but Tommy cared too much. And he said you couldn't see the wood for the trees, or he couldn't, and it translated to the players. So whenever Rangers dropped points, this idea that came about the Celtic would always blow it, because they kind of always did, Martin, didn't they? I mean, they did. I mean, I was just about to go into that in the build-up to this game. We only lost three games that season, two of which were to Hearts, and this was the, the, the third and final defeat of the season was that a 2-0 defeat at, at, at Tynecastle um, in early April I think yeah I remember and golf they, they draw 1-1 one, one at home to Kelly they, they just can't capitalise whenever well, we slip up that's exactly what Stubb said he said whenever that happened rather than just going we need to focus on the game he said he would come in and he'd be you know you could see he was barely controlling himself and he was like we've got to do it today we've got to catch Rangers this is the day we have to do it and he said, and rather than kind of take the pressure off the players, he multiplied it continually. He said it wasn't his fault, he, he couldn't help himself. Whereas when Janssen came in, and of course we tried desperately during Janssen's season to try and hand him the league, he was a lot calmer and he would then pick up the victories when it mattered. Because Janssen's Celtic team couldn't beat as much either. It was just that they were better at not dropping the stupid point. And... Uh, so yeah, Burns saying, oh well at least we've won the respective fans back, doesn't really surprise me, because I think he was far too caught up in emotional things, and he was far too caught up in the romanticism and the mythology of Celtic, as opposed to just, we need, you know, say what you like about Walter Smith's tactics during that time, or Europe or whatever, Walter was aware that you get judged on the amount of big silver things that you wave at your fans, and that's what he cared about, and that ruthless pragmatism that Walter had uh, give me that any day over some romantic that uh, you know would rather have my respect than have my undying admiration yeah I mean that means that we're four points ahead going into the last three weeks of the season I think everyone was hoping that we'd drop points at Fir Park Um, we don't Um, we play very well actually we win 3-1 and it means that going into the Aberdeen game with our superior goal difference, mean that realistically we can probably draw the next two games at home to Aberdeen and, and away to Kilmarnock. Um, a busy week in football in the lead up to this game. Um, 
Graham, as soon as he was in hot water this week, David, any idea what he could have possibly done? Was this the flag? It was indeed. Oh, the Wednesday cool. night was the Turkish Cup final. Um, as soon as his Galatasaray beat their fierce rivals Fenerbahce and he famously planted a flag on the centre spot, the Turkish president was pelted with missiles uh, was trying to present the cup uh, on the pitch four fans taken to hospital uh, soon as said that he had not intended to cause offence <laughs> yeah because because uh, I know that if during a, a big derby match I didn't want to cause offence what I would do would be go out and plant a fucking enormous flag in the centre circle right in front of them I, you have to admire that because you know when we talk about balls I mean, Sunis has a set so large they can be they can be viewed from space, and that was magnificent. I remember it making uh, the national news over here. Mm-hmm. Never mind, just mind the Scottish news. Uh, what a magnificent! It's on YouTube. I, I I please go and have a look at it, younger listeners. It's just one of the greatest FUs you will ever see. Fair to say, the Galatasaray fans haven't ever forgotten. It's no. very fondly remembered. Um, some of their tifos um, demonstrate that. It was uh, an international week, not quite as we know, it was just uh, the one friendly um, on the Wednesday night as preparations were obviously getting uh, underway for Euro 96. Um, Scotland got soundly beaten away in Denmark 2-0 and the B team, which was a a thing back then, um, lost 3-0 to Denmark's B team on the Tuesday night, Eric Bo Anderson of this parish, scoring um, the third in in that game. Uh, Brown pretty much rules out anyone from that squad making the final cut for the summer because they, they just haven't impressed. Um, that squad includes Paul Lambert um, who would be a European champion a year later. <laughs> um, quite incredible turnaround uh, and uh, it was certainly something that, that consistently annoyed me through the 90s um, under Roxburgh and Brown these just fucking wet tracksuits um, in charge of um, the, the national team the, the, the squad selection team selection um, was sometimes baffling it was certainly battle, uh, baffling to our left back David Robertson who pretty much tells Craig Brown that unless he's guaranteed to start don't bother including him in any of the squads um, and Craig Brown said don't worry uh, I, I won't because uh, you don't get to kind of demand your place Kind of understand where Craig Brown's coming from. However, when the options are Tosh McKinley and Tom Boyd, maybe Davy had a point. The left back specialist Tosh McKinley, that's a quote from Craig Brown. I think that this is something that's badly in need of a bit of historical uh, re examining, which is the effect that Craig Brown and Andy Roxburgh had on support for the national team long term. Because I entered that decade a massively passionate Scotland fan and left it. Not really bothered, and yep. it's that's before any of your Rangers versus the rest of Scottish football stuff. That's that was down to look. Okay, yeah, we we were maybe a bit arrogant in Scotland in the eighties. I was growing up, and certainly Argentina seventy eight, of course, being a great uh, example of maybe not counting your chickens before they come home. But at least it was fun and it was exciting, and you could dream. They took that away because after a while, hearing a guy, or two guys in this case, continually come out and telling you, look, we're a bit pish, and the best we can hope to do here is is be a bit pish, but be slightly less pish than the opposition, time after time after time. And as you say, picking these fucking idiots and clown shoes and guys like Scott Gemmell, you know, no offence, 
Tosh McKinley because he'll turn up every game and go and sit on a bench in Moldova, ignoring guys like Richard Goff and David Robertson because they actually have an opinion and a winning mentality. And I remember the Greece game and Scotland were appalling. Lost 1-0 in Greece and Craig Brown, of course, famously comes out and said, well, we had more corners than them. Mm. And I remember watching that and thinking, and? And it was just... It wasn't funny anymore. And what was the point of it? And okay, we were qualifying for major tournaments, which was cool. But the problem is, it's a little bit like these managers I'd say in England now that, you know, the Pulises, the guys that you'll put up with while you're winning and you'll put up with that while you get into international tournaments. But as soon as that stops, then the overwhelming sense of ennui and pointlessness that has overcome the national team. overcame us and I, I do I really think that at one point someone has to go back and say do you know what you did you know you, you removed the I spoke earlier about not wanting romanticism in, in my club football I think you need to have it at international level surely that's that's the key to the whole unless you're Germany or Brazil I, I, I think they they sucked the joy out of following Scotland and I don't think it's ever it's ever recovered yeah, it'll come as no surprise to anyone that, that Richard Goff was fully behind David Robertson um, in his claims. Um, whilst on England duty, Paul Gascoigne tells the press that a policeman had told him before the Motherwell game at Fur Park that uh, I talked about earlier that Mike McCurry um, would book him early. Uh, he duly did, and Paul was thinking about going to FIFA to ensure he didn't get a ban for the cup final, as he was only one booking away from missing it. Um, if that was Tom Boyd, I think we'd make a bit of hay with that, David. Yeah, Mike McCurry, uh, the Reverend Mike McCurry. I don't know quite why it was a shock to Gaza that he got booked early. Um, considering the way he tackled, he was a guy I would have told, if I see you tackling someone, you're getting fined because he just could not do it and yet laboured under the misapprehension for his whole career that he could. He was refereed differently to everyone else. There's no doubt about it, joking aside. But um, I don't think that the referee had pre-planned it in that case much as I'm not a fan of, of Scottish referees I think Gaza could be his own worst enemy when it came to picking up yellow cards uh, I'll, I'll give him this quite well, often it's only picking up yellow cards yeah, well, yeah that one I'll grant you um, but I'll give Gaza this very rarely did he pick up two yellows it was almost like he got one out of his system and then that was him um, whilst the Gianluca Viali uh, to Rangers rumours um aren't going away, they're, they're quite solid I think. Um, Keith Jackson tells us that David Murray will jet out to Amsterdam to have a personal meeting with Edgar Davids 30 grand a week um, both players would be playing in the, the Champions League final in a few weeks um, the same paper had Barcelona lining up a £20 million bid for Robbie Fowler that Sounds a wee bit ridiculous now, but it wouldn't have been that ridiculous at the time, I don't think. No, no, it wouldn't have been. Fowler was amazing um, for the the first five years at Liverpool till injuries really kicked in. But 17 to 22-year-old Robbie Fowler, um, he could have played and scored for any team in the world at that time, I think. Couldn't get a game for England, though, which shows the kind of strength and depth that they they, they had up front going into that that summer. Well, they had a great partnership, Sheringham and and Shearer, and I can understand why you wouldn't necessarily break that up. And Fowler was a little bit like Owen would be. I don't know whether it was something coming to at Liverpool. I can't really remember him having many great partnerships, can you? 
he, he was a wonderful striker, but he was kind of difficult to play with. No, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, I, I remember him being deadly. There was one game in particular against Manchester United. I think it was Cantona's comeback match. Uh, two each. Yeah, yeah, and Fowler basically played Manchester United himself. Um, he was outstanding. He did have a good relationship in the partnership with McManaman at the time. But um, Fowler was deadly. Anything from about 20 yards in, he was liable to... He's one of these strikers, Kane's a good modern equivalent, that he could score all types of goals. Um, you know, he got tap-ins, he got near post, he got headers, he got long shots. He had a great range of finishing, and I love a striker like that, that pretty much any angle he's at, he's going to find a way to work the goalkeeper. Uh, that That's such a huge quality for a striker. And yeah... I, I could have seen that happening. Barca, some team back then, this would be the pre oh, I mean, Back to ours though, David. I mean, it's it, when you're looking back at these and you, you kind of have to read it again. I mean, this wasn't paper talk. We we, we a genuine interest. Whether that that was anywhere near reciprocal is another another story. But to even imagine Rangers talking to two players on either end of a Champions League final coming up to to, to come to us the next season. Um, I mean, it's just a different world. Davids, I don't think we had any chance because he wanted to go to Italy, and mm. as players did back then, and that was a tough one. But Viali, of course, we were incredibly close to getting, and in the end up, I think it came down to a straight choice for him between us and Chelsea, and he, he wrote a letter to David Murray and Walter Smith uh, thanking them for their interest and telling them, you know, he'd been very close, but he, he wanted to live in London. And he said afterwards that, you know, from a football point of view, although he loved Chelsea and of course he ended up being the manager, he probably should have gone to Rangers, um, which I think is is interesting. Can you imagine how good that would have been? Oh, <laughs> oh, that that uh, would have been absolute wank fodder. Still, uh, what a player he was and classy guy as well. Just a guy I've always liked as, yeah, a, yeah, as a bloke. Yeah. Uh, and if he had come, it might have. Uh changed a, a conversation we, we we may have later on in this pod. Um, Stuart McKimmy, Aberdeen captain, um, is furious at Richard Goff um, in the lead up to this game because Goff had suggested during the week that Aberdeen were the, the Leeds of Scotland um, and that was in reference to the famous Alex Ferguson rant about Leeds cheating their fans by only turning up against United which then prompted the even more famous Kevin Keegan response um, I'll, I'll love it if we beat them. Um, again, I don't want to time stamp this, Davey, but uh, the more things change, the more things stay the same. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think you're going to time stamp uh, by saying Aberdeen try harder against Rangers. Uh, yeah. Although, I suppose the argument could be Aberdeen just uh, uh, can't play anybody from Glasgow, particularly. No, not really. Um, at the moment. Um, but, uh, so- yeah, that's typical Aberdeen, get annoyed about the comment rather than try improve it wrong by picking up points in the other match uh, it's, it's just very Aberdeen small club mentality, McKimmy was a good example of that, a guy who could and should have moved what, yep. five, six years before could have gone on to, he was a very good player, steady stagnates at Aberdeen where he's, he's comfortable and I mean 1990 he gets that goal against Argentina world at his feet, could have moved to, to England, doesn't he's, he's, he's so Aberdeen at hurts no, that's true. Um, so to the game itself then, we don't have any fresh 
injury worries. Uh, Gordon Jury's past fit after a hamstring strain. Um, and Gordon Petrich has recovered from a poisoned arm, which is possibly <laughs> the most Gordon Petrich injury known to man. What the fuck is a poisoned arm? I, 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 I need to go back and find out exactly <laughs> how that that occurred but it's just you can imagine Godan coming in saying like, I'm, I'm struggling because my my arm's fallen off or it's... <laughs> I got bit by my rat and yeah. it's and uh... my laboratory yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's outstanding a poisoned arm what a great uh, football injury Aberdeen have Duncan Shearer suspended um, and Roy Aitken who was the Aberdeen manager at the time of course said in the build up um, there's been nothing much between us this season and it will be the same on Sunday which is True, if you ignore the, the 30 points, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> true. But, but within that, he did have a kind of fair point. We we won 1-0 up there twice, close games, uh, very nervy, but, you know, uh, Rangers do the biz. Um, we lost 2-1 at Hamden in the League Cup semi-final, which I remember being really disappointing. I think we actually went ahead from, from memory that day. No, we uh, were two down. So, uh, Dodds we're two down, were we? And Selenko pulled one back. Yeah, Selenko pulled one back and then we just don't... We didn't turn up for yeah, 70 we, minutes. We, we were shite. Yeah, we were, we were... You're right, it was a really disappointing result because we deserved to go out and that's piss. You know, at Hamden to Aberdeen and they are the better side. It was... Un- unaccepted, uh, unacceptable rather. Uh, I was just say absolutely gutted. Good goal for Solenko, but a wee bit too little, too late. Yeah. And the other game, of course, was a one-one draw in the league at Ibrox. Yes, quite a quite a famous game or infamous, maybe the the word. Very towsy football match. Um, these days, there'd have been what four red cards either team and a government inquiry after yeah. it. It was. A really dank sort of winter day at Ibrox, floodlights on from about ten past three, style game, yeah. and they they took the lead with an absolute screamer of a goal from Ian Jess. I mean, he's smashed it in from a million miles. But I think he took the lead. It could be could be the way around. Rangers get the no, they, 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 they took the lead. Uh, Rangers yeah. get the equaliser, but that's not why people remember it. People remember it because Gaza at one point. Um, not there was no other word to, to say. He not John Ingalls in the chest, and then there are several other incidents with Billy Dodds um, on the ground a couple of times. He's kicking and punching out at Rangers players, and eventually John Brown brilliantly picks him up by the hair while pressing his knees into his neck. So Bomber's sort of behind him, and Dodds is trying to get up, and Bomber's very kindly helping him up by the hair however he's unfortunately put both of his knees on his neck which is preventing Billy Dodds from getting back to his feet unfortunately and what can only be described as a fairly brutal Boston crab yeah, it was um, it was ill-tempered. I think it's, it's fair to say, and it, it spilled um, spilled over even um, into this game. But Rangers Aberdeen games, I guess, don't need um, much to get the, the temperature rising. Um, uh, the Rangers team, Eddie Bo Anderson, plays in front of McCoy. He scored six goals in, in four games, so fair enough. Um, we'll, we'll come to Ali um, a wee bit later on. Um, as I said, Gascoigne is one booking away from, from missing the cup final. Richard Goff and Andy Gorham are the other two. Uh, and Les Mottram is the name, or is the referee. Um, it's just an, an absolute 
referee name from from my childhood. It's yeah. just it's just so synonymous with um, Scottish football history. He uh, again, this is on YouTube, and I advise younger younger listeners to go and check this out. In fact, I advise all people my age as well because you'll you'll remember this. He did one of the greatest refereeing fuck-ups I have ever seen in my life. For Hill. For Hill, yes. Uh, Dundee United versus Partick Thistle. And there's a shot that goes in but goes through the net. It, it hits the side netting, but then it actually comes through the net, which has clearly not been secured properly. And <clears throat> everyone stops, the fans cheer, and he awards a goal kick. And the whole stadium's going, no, it went in. It went, you know, between the big white things and under the white bar. And the Dundee United players sort of catch on and go, or I think it was the United players, could be the other way around, but uh, the, the defending team catch on and go, hang on a minute, he doesn't think it's a goal. <laughs> <laughs> and then they play along with it. But they have already, before that, started walking back to the halfway line, which makes it even more... And I think it's one of these occasions where there's a moment, if you watch the footage, where he knows... He knows he's fucked it up, but being a Scottish referee of the 90s, he is not going to change his mind. Nope. And uh, an absolute classic. He ended up pissing off to, I think, like China or somewhere. He got offered a load of money to go and referee abroad, and he did so. A sort of proto-Klattenberg. Always one step ahead um, in Scotland um, in terms of dreadful referees. Um, the main eye opener on our team is, is Trevor Stephen playing at right wing back because, um, uh, as Hoggy and I talked about in um, episode four, in the Loudrop Cup final episode, um, you know we are three five two at the time, really to accommodate um, Gascoigne. Um, so it's Gorham and goals. Goff, McLaren and Brown, uh, the three at the back, David Robertson and Trevor Stephen at wing back. Um, Stuart McCall, Gascoigne, uh, I guess Loudrop in midfield with, with Gordon Jury and, and Eric Bo Anderson up front. Um, Durant McCoist and Petridge make the bench. Um, I've asked a few sheepy mates um, about the likely Aberdeen formation that day. Um, they all say it's a four three three, but I'm I'm not really buying that. I don't believe Aberdeen have ever come down here and played four three three. So uh, I'm going to call it a five three two to try and combat us. Uh, Michael Watt and goals making a a welcome return to a title decider at Ibrox. Um, Smith, Ingles, and Irvin are the back three. Stuart McKimmy, um and the very highly rated Stephen Glass um, out on uh, left uh, wing back. Um, Rousen, Paul Bernard and Dean Windass in midfield with Scott Booth and, and Billy Dodds uh, roaming up front um, and that 1-1 game is clearly in the memories because Billy Dodds is pretty much booed right from the outset um, uh, it's kind of nervy disjointed start as you, you might expect um, with so much riding on it um, Gascoigne's coming deep to get the ball often um, and we see that in the cup final too Billy Dodds is a, a decent effort from from dif, uh, distance in the eighth minute, and again he's he's roundly booed. Um, their wing back system kind of getting shown up um, as John Brown releases David Robertson not for the first time. He hears away from his marker quite easily, but Brian Irvin, very experienced, calm defender, comes comes round to sweep it up. Um, Aberdeen's kind of settled quite nicely when they have the ball. They're, they're set up well. Um, frustrating is right from the off. Um, 
Richard Goff clashes heads with Irvine on, on 14 minutes and he gets bandaged up later for any of the, the footage of um, him receiving the trophy. That, that That's why. Um, Robertson sent away again, this time by Loudrop. Um, there's a dangerous ball for Jury um, on 18 minutes, but it's cleared for a corner um, by Stephen Glass. And from the corner... Michael Watt makes a rip-roaring cunt um, of the cross, um, as you would come to expect um, from him at Ibrox. Um, and then there's an Aberdeen goal on 19 minutes. Uh, Stephen Glass corner, not cleared by Goff at all. It's just the worst effort at all at trying to clear um, a cross ball. He then loses his man, Brian Irvin, who has time to compose himself and just kind of forces it past Gorham. And then Trevor Stephen on the line it is a truly awful goal, David. And again, this is where memory plays tricks on you. I could have told you Aberdeen took the lead. I could have told you that Brian Irvin scored, but in my head it was a cracker. And <clears throat> just just memory playing tricks with you. Um, having watched it back, it was good lord. And it's interesting because obviously, in our minds, quite rightly, Richard Goff is held up as the exemplar of what a centre-half should be. But he's in a nightmare here. And... As you say, just a real shit goal to give away. And I think what what struck me in the opening 20 minutes was that Aberdeen were playing with a calmness, possibly because they've got nothing to lose, um, whereas obviously it's a huge game for us. And Absolutely. I, I don't think they play like that at Ibrox back then. Normally, you know, I think they come into it sort of nervy and desperate to, to get that monkey off the back in terms of the, the hoodoo, which was by this point a thing. And I, I was surprised really to see that they're just going, you know what, lads, whether we win or we don't, it doesn't really matter, so let's go out and try and play football. And look, they have some limited players on that side, you know, uh, Rousen springs to mind immediately. There's, mm. a, there's a, a, a Scottish, uh, at the time, uh, Premier League clogger, you know, nothing, nothing more, nothing less. But there is talent in that side, but a lot of them were underperforming pussies, Scott Booth. For example, being you know, case in point of a guy whose career was based on being a talented, underperforming pussy. And on a day where then there's hardly any pressure on them, I think they sort of relax a little bit. And we do look nervous, I think. And I remember feeling nervous in the stands that day. And the opening 20 minutes, a couple of nice bits of play from us because they're not a good side. And if we do good things, we will be able to take advantage of that. But we just don't look ourselves that day uh, by this stage. And going a goal down, you hear the almost audible groan, really, from the support. Who knows? Absolutely. It. You're, you're, you're kind of booked in for a party. Yeah. and um, We're going know, to make just... it hard for ourselves is basically the mood. Uh, not the mood, but the, the feeling then that we're going to do this in the proper Rangers way of putting, putting 48,000 people through the mill. But importantly, we respond very quickly. Um, Stuart McCall, I'm going to say successfully claims a throw-in from a tackle. I'm not entirely sure it was a throw-in. But we we take the throw-in and we get a corner directly from it. And then something happens. Loudrop, short ball to Gascoigne on the edge of the box. He glides past Billy Dodds and then Windass before managing to get the ball on his right foot um, to score past Watt right into the roof of the net. He's still got a lot to do with the shot, even though it's close range. It's just a brilliant goal. It's a perfect example of someone, one individual saying no. Yes. Two people in Scotland could have scored that goal. 
that and decade, and they're both playing for us. They're both involved in this goal, and it's a magnificent finish. I mean, it's a great run anyway, uh, because they're aware he's going to run at them. It's not like they're not set for him. It's not like oh my god, Paul Gascoigne's just beat a man. You know, they know what's coming, but to then do it and to adjust his body and and generate the power that he does with absolutely no backlift at all, and just somehow get the power to put it past Watt, who was a good shot stopper, who was an absolute pussy, again, I'm using that word a lot, but I can't think of another word to, to more aptly describe Aberdeen, apart from maybe a wet pussy, uh, when it came to crossballs, but he was a good shot stopper, mm-hmm. and he's just managed somehow, from a, an impossible physical position, to generate the power and get it in, it was some goal, an absolute cracker, and that was the thing about Gascoigne, he could do it and Loudrop was the same big games you know when you need them this is a day we need our special players to do something special and he has done and the mood changes at Ibrox the sort of Paul lifts slightly and then you go back to right okay they've had their moment that's now been and gone and now we will go on and assert our dominance over them because we are the better side Gaz is clearly you know he's up for this today Uh, we didn't know how up for it he would be but you know, going into half time, or sorry, moving into the second half of that half, you're beginning to think, right, okay, Rangers, you've had your scare, you've overcome it quickly, you've removed the tension, let's go and win it. Yeah. Um, Brian Loudrop tries quite often, he, he just um, after that goal and, and throughout the rest of the game, tries a kind of connection um, with Eric Bo Anderson more than anyone else that, that he would do to great effect with Gordon Jury in the cup final a few weeks later. That kind of lobbed um, passes that he kind of comes into a deeper position. Um, I mean, him and Jury would just obviously run right in that, that cup final. Doesn't quite come off today. Um, he tries one with, with um, as I said, Eric Bo Anderson, um, and he, yeah, he didn't quite get the shot away. Um, Alan McLaren has a, a decent effort from outside the box, which whistles wide. Uh, Ma memory or the season before, didn't he score an absolute brammer of a free kick at Tannadice? Yes, because it was so... In like the first second of the game or something? Uh, like, was it, not? It, it was so unexpected because it was Alan McLaren. And I remember that game, it was a fairly comfortable victory, but Walter had to end up taking Loudrop off. Because Rangers were, you know, with half an hour to go, the game was over. And United just started kicking Loudrop constantly to the point that after the match, when I was listening in the car on the way home from Tannadice, that the the Radio Scotland guys were appalled and were genuinely having a go at United and saying, you know, that was unprofessional. They completely lost their discipline. And, they, you know, he wasn't taking the piss out of them or anything. It was just that he's their best player and he's 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 beating us at football and we're going to start kicking him but yeah cracking cracking goal from McLaren didn't, didn't really get to hit a lot more it was as if that they oh, all thought as if they all thought including him that was my one as you said though after the goal um, we, we, we pick up the pace and we're far more fluid um, and the performance pretty much immediately improves um, Loudrop's now turning out uh, turning up on the, the right hand side um, he just goes whatever he likes really um, a dangerous ball in on the 27th minute but it's cleared again for a corner he almost gets in again but Gary Smith um, covers and puts out for another corner from that corner a 1-2 with McCall Gascoigne takes it right to the byline um, and sends in a a great cross and again your man Alan McLaren with a, a looping header which goes right onto the right hand post 
Um, so we, we go close there. Um, Richard Goff is inspired by um, the Virtuoso Go, and he just starts charging through the middle of the park for some reason. Um, I, he, he puts Loudrop through, but, but Brian can't get a, a good enough shot away. And then probably the chance of the first half, and it comes for Aberdeen on 34 minutes Somehow, Scott Booth is, is through right on goal oh. um, from a, a Billy Dodds knock-on. Um, Gorham does all they can do, which is just stand up, really. Um, and I think you've kind of touched on it before, that maybe that mental fragility when it matters of that Aberdeen team and Scott Booth in particular. I mean, the shot is just is powder puff straight at uh, Gorham. Um, but Jesus, that, that, that could have been dangerous. It's just a flick into Gorham's midriff, isn't it? And I remember that one. That... Is one of these moments that's absolutely etched on my mind. I mentioned earlier about you know the the first goal not being correctly logged in my brain. This one for some reason is because it was right in front of where I sat, and he's he's clean through. And not only is he clean through, he's clean through with all the time in the world. If I may use that cliche, because he really does. You know, he, oh, there's no one near him. He can shoot early. Uh, he's got a lot of the goal to hit while Gorham's coming out. He doesn't. He can go round him. He chooses not to. And at this point, he's running out of options. And instead of then picking, right, I'm going to do this, he just simply gets there and sort of... You can't even call it a toe poke, because a toe poke would have been harder. He sort of just flicks the ball up, and Gorham is there and saves it. Uh, we spoke about this in the, the number one show, which I advise people to check out, but goalkeepers, there's a new one coming this week, mm-hmm. that... I think one of the innovations that Andy Gorham doesn't get enough credit for was he was the guy that I think taught a generation of goalkeepers, stand up, make them make a decision. Don't come hearing out your goal, eyes fixed in the ball, and chuck yourself down, you know, so that the guy can either chip you or go around you and, and instigate contact, as we as we call it these days. He just would go and stand in front of them. He always got his angles right, so he was always there at the right time. And he would just go, go on, then beat me. And the amount of times people couldn't, um, because he, they would do exactly what Scott Booth did, which is five options crash into their brain at once, they take none, and they end up just tamely hitting the ball at Gorham and he makes a save. But what a chance. I mean, it's a sitter, let, let's be honest. He's got four or five ways to score and elects to choose none of them. He doesn't even try any of the ones that could lead to a goal, and no. he end up just... But then Scott Booth, for a guy so highly praised... He didn't score a lot of goals, did he? Um, no. Um, and again, he's one staking his claim for um, inclusion in the, 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 the Euro 96 squad. Um, yeah, he flattered to deceive. And there's a perfect example of why. I think he, he, his mind just got scrambled when push came to shove. Um, and it's just the most anemic effort you could imagine we talk a lot um, about natural finishers Martin and I think there's a, an example about someone who it, it's not their first instinct is to do the right thing in the way that a guy who'll get you 25, 30 a year will do and yeah just terrible miss and it completely deflates Aberdeen from an attacking sense and don't get me wrong they still scrap very hard but it's almost like their fans go Ah, that was it. That was the chance. That was the chance. Yeah, we've got a wee um, collector's item uh, on 38 minutes as uh, David Robertson has an overhead kick in the middle of the box, but it, um, it just goes over. Uh, you don't see Tosh McKinley doing that. Yeah. Um, but Aberdeen defensive shape is 
reasonably sound. They've got a lot of guys behind the ball. It's becoming a bit of a problem. Gascoigne can't pass through as, as much as he, he clearly wants to do, clearly tries to do. And at half time, I think frustration's just the word. Yeah, it was. I remember going in the concourse and frustration is the word. People kind of going, fuck's sake, Rangers today. A phrase that's always stuck with me for some reason, just because it was such an unusual phrase to hear a Scottish person saying was, this guy was walking by me and he went, three points today is a must. And I thought, I bet he's never used, you know, that phrase <laughs> ever before, but it's you stuck with me to Yeah, exactly. It's the kind of thing you would never say at any other, but you know, you would never let, you know, sit having ran out of milk to turn to the wife and go, milk being purchased is a must. It, it just, it's not a phrase you use, but at the football, we all uh, use, use lines that I don't think we would normally use. Yeah, I remember. I'd like, sorry, I'd like to think that that guy, whenever he heard of Gascoigne signing or something like that, he phoned his pal and said, Rangers have swooped. <laughs> 0.3 million rated midfielder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we've made a shot. I would love if he just talked in those kind of tabloid cliches all the time. It would be great, or, or, or he could, could say things along the lines of, uh, Walter's admitted that he's interested in Edgar David. You know, uh, these, these stock You're forced phrases. You've it over him. Ah, exactly, these stock phrases. But yeah, three points is a must, and it's stuck with me to this day that I've actually ironically used it so often that I think I use it now unironically. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like the, the, if you ever online, if I ever call you dude, I'm not being ironic anymore. We used to do it ironically, me and my mates, and then I, the time I realised when that it had gone into um, past the stage of irony was a friend of mine, his mother died. And he came, he saw me, he's like, oh, my mum passed away this morning. I was like, dude. And he went, I know, dude, I can't believe it. And I'm like, fucking hell, dude. And this is about his mum dying, you know. Dude is an inappropriate word for such a conversation. So, yeah, if I ever call you dude online, please don't don't think I'm taking the piss out of you. But there's a frustration because I think you nailed it earlier, Martin. No matter what anybody says, right, we have turned up for the party. Okay, and it's all right saying, oh, it'll be a tough game and we've got to get the victory and yada, yada, yada. We're there for the quarter to five moment, you know? Um, and hurry up and fucking get us to that, Rangers, would you? And that was the kind of levels of expectation about Rangers back then. It wasn't... You don't want to be going to Rugby Park look for a point. No, God no. Either. We want, something we, we just hadn't... We hadn't been... Used to doing for for no, so long. No, we want it done. Uh, we're at home. We're all here. We're all ready. We've all got plans. You know, after the game, carryouts have been bought. Days <laughs> off have been arranged from work the next day. And yeah, and I, I remember it being really sunny. I think something we should maybe touch on is you and I watching the game were both a little bit surprised that it was a lot more turgid an actual football match than maybe we remembered. No uh, shit. It's, it's mainly because we well we we know why we remember it we know what images are, are kind of imprinted on the mind and they're as opposite um, from turgid as it's possible to get um, but Aberdeen they they played to their game plan they they were very difficult to break down and on the break you know Booth is is not the most prolific but but Dodge was and he's fast and Windass breaking from midfield as well could be a problem um, also so um, the second half starts no no changes there's a long ball put into the Aberdeen box and even with two defenders around them in fact sorry not into the box it's 10 yards outside the box and there's two defenders near it Michael Watts still comes out charging out of his box um, to try and clear 
and he makes, as you would expect, an absolute arse of it, and he just gets spooked by by these end of season games at Ibrox for some reason. Um, Eddie Bow is he's sent through again, but he, he struggles to get free enough to get a shot on goal. Um, the pressure's building, and Bagoff is a header that goes wide from a corner. Um, Jury's got a good chance, but he just gets the header wrong. Still some way out, um, and it's these two. Three five twos, uh, just game just getting very bogged down. Trevor Stephen is starting to get kind of caught out, and Trevor Stephen coming to really the end of his career, not not just Ibrox, just in general. Um, and he's starting to get caught out a wee bit. Um, there's plenty of space in behind him, uh, and Stephen Glass is now exploiting that quite quite a lot. And uh, when Aberdeen do go forward um, he cuts one back for Windass and his shot's blocked by McLaren in 54 minutes again Eric Bo Anderson is put through but he just can't doesn't have the strength really to, to wriggle free and get enough space to get the shot in it's pretty weak um, again Michael Watts at sea Jury gets past him gets to the byline uh, he cuts it back I think it's for Loudrop but, but Eric Bo Anderson takes it or it's for Gascoigne I think and then Eric Bo Anderson actually takes it in front of him but again his touch is poor and the ball goes out players starting to get a wee bit more stretched players are turning up in all sorts of positions I mentioned David Robertson turning up in the box for an overhead kick um, and I think Bo Anderson has his final chance of the, the day on 58 minutes a nice one too with Jury but he just absolutely skies it and he's been really really poor um, Billy Dodds is an effort from about 23 yards on the hour mark but Gorham saves quite comfortably down his right um, Loudrop and Jury linking up nicely um, but it comes to nothing but it would be a, a portent of things to mm-hmm. come in a few weeks of course Eric Bow Anderson leaves the field for Ali McCoist um, on 61 minutes, but again it's 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 Aberdeen that's still looking um, a wee bit more dangerous. Stephen Glass has really given Trevor Stephen a, a struggle, um, and it's just a, a generally a frustrating day. Um, Loudrop has a cross in on 67 minutes that McCoist goes close with a low header, but not close enough to to really get us too excited. Um, Loudrop, of all people, makes the wrong decision. Um, a minute later, a great sweeping move for once. Gascoigne plays him in. Um, he should have shot, uh, but he decides to be cute and kind of chip it back across the box, and it just gets smothered. Um, uh, Windass is a chance, um, again, coming from glass, really giving Stephen a roasting. Um, it's a good header, and, and Gorham just tips it over. Um, Loudrop plays for a penalty when we break right away and it's not given probably correctly um, Gaz is now starting to twist and turn, um, he's starting to almost like a boxer kind of just warming up for um, the haymaker that's about to, to come um, but he's start, he's not quite getting enough room to make that ultimate contribution yet um, 73 minutes a Gascoigne corner is Tipped onto the bar by Michael Watt again, a header from Alan McLaren, but everything's just coming um, from Paul Gascoigne. Um, Trevor Stephen is finally relieved, and Gordon Petrich, free of, of arm poison, is is um, unleashed uh, onto the park. Um, again, Gascoigne's twisting away from players. He releases Jury this time, but nothing really happens. Um, Petrich puts Michael Watt under pressure um, from a, a corner, and again, McClam goes wide. It's starting to come, you maybe feel it, mm-hmm. um, but there's just so many bodies uh, in the Aberdeen um, half of the field. Um, 
And then Aberdeen have a throw-in on 80 minutes. It goes to Billy Dodds. He loses control. Alan McLaren wins it, and he gives it to Gascoigne in the Rangers' half. And shouts at him, I believe, you need to do something. Yeah. Uh, you need to, come on, you're a special player. You need to do something for us, according to both of them afterwards. Yeah. That he gives them the ball and says, come on, you're the special player. You need to do something. Uh, no, no pressure. Paul. No pressure. Well, he beats Windass for the ball and then glides past Paul Bernard, who chases him all the way from the halfway line into the box. And then he's joined by Stuart McKimmy, who can't get him. Loudrop's cleverly taking um, Ingles away with him to the left. And for once, the other two defenders, who have been Gary Smith and Brian Irvin, don't really go out to meet him. They give him that room that's pretty much been missing for the whole game, and that's all he needs. Um, roof of the net, titles won, um, and Charlie Nicholas sounds deflated when he says, what a goal, as if you're like, oh, fuck, what a, what a goal, fair yeah. enough. Um, like Jeremy, all, he all, says he's, he'd gone a bit quiet. I'm not sure what game McNeil was watching, but again, when we'll, we we'll come to that later. Um, relief, David? Oh, God, yeah, but also... That feeling of I have just witnessed something very special, and again goals there. Uh, if you like their extraordinaryness, <laughs> I can't think of another word for it. Mm. Uh, is is amplified by the game that they are scored in. So, you know it's iconic. Yeah, if he scores that goal in a five 0 win over Falkirk, we'll fondly remember it. Of course we will, but it's not. You know, going to become the legendary goal that it is that every Rangers fan can play in their mind. You know, when we're we're sitting back at night and just just remember it and remember the feelings. And of course, Ibrox erupts into that full throated roar that's been sitting in the the stomach for well, since before the match, really. And of the players mob him. He, by his own admission, is knackered after that long bursting run, and. It was that feeling of, oh my God, and again, can I just use another cliche of things that you only would say at a stadium, in this case because it's so fucking stupid, but it makes perfect sense at a football match. You're turning round to, in my case, my dad, my friends, they're turning to me, and all of us are saying the same thing. Did you see that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, I, no, no, sorry lads, I was uh, I brought a paper, and I had just got to Angus Og in the Sunday Mail I never liked to miss it so I was just reading that no of course but you do don't you to fuck did you see that and it was just as if you're seeking confirmation from people that the extraordinary event you've just witnessed actually did take place um, but there are there's 48,000 roars going on to tell you that it did it was a sublime goal I said earlier there's a goal that only Two people in Scotland in the nineties could have scored. Well, you can chalk up another one here. Uh, maybe even only one, just due to the the type of goal that it was. It's a it's a world class goal. It's a a title winning goal. It deserves to be. It's an extraordinary bit of of play from a guy who could do that. And yeah, you're absolutely correct. It was just just wonderful. Just a perfect moment that will live forever. It, it, it is a gas going goal though, because it isn't just skill. It is strength. He uses. I mean, he, he was often criticised early in his career for for the way he used his elbows, really just to stop people hacking him to bits. Mm. Um, but it was very much one of those Gascoigne goals. If, if you you saw him in Italia ninety, you wouldn't be surprised at him scoring a goal like that because there's a there's a lot of bustle about it. Um, whereas Loudrop scored goals similar to that. 
won I'm sure at home to Tyler Motherwell Dundee United the season before but Loudrop is effortless Loudrop glides past players um, he, you know, he, it looks like he's got a shield around them Gascoigne clearly is fighting those guys off um, but it, it, it doesn't take any of the shine off the goal I mean it is just pure individualism it's someone grabbing a game and saying no this is going to happen now if I can um, make a modern comparison between the two players the, the two similar styles and I'm not comparing levels of players um, well in one of their cases anyway if you ever watch Barcelona Martin and you'll see Messi and Suarez Messi glides past players yeah. Suarez it's, it's that chaos thing that Gaza did which is he hits the ball quite often into a guy and then you know gets the rebound and uses his strength to get past and just almost forces his way through whereas Messi just you know glides past people as if they're not there as you say as if he's got this shield around them that they can't penetrate Gaza was a bit like, more like the Suarez chaos theory of you know get the ball running get almost this Tasmanian devil arms flailing and, and chaos happening all around you thing and take advantage of that be the coolest man in the eye of the hurricane if you like and that was a great example of that where it's a goal that at any given point it just would take one element of it to go wrong for it not to happen but somehow he manages to keep them all together and, and keep himself together and, and score it and it's it's fabulous piece it's, of it's a very good um, comparison I mean Loudrop and Messi look like they've they've graduated to the the Royal Ballet um, <laughs> and Gascoigne and Suarez look like they've never left the streets um, but it's equally as beautiful it's equally as effective yeah. um, so maybe in party mode now um, McCoyst trying to get involved I think he shoots from about 35 yards but it's um, not his best effort um, again Alan McLaren finds himself in the box after a, a, another loud drop 1-2 that he's really warming up for, for the cup final and he blasts wide sadly we that game really needed a, a, an Alan, Alan McLaren goal Aberdeen a wee bit all over the shop now um, they do get a corner though um, Gorham punches it away and we break um, we break pretty fast and Gordon Jury is brought down by Paul Bernard for a penalty on the 86th minute um, Gascoigne has to plead um, with McCoyst um, for the ball and he, he gets it um, because him and Jury have a, a, a bet going on about who's going to be the top goal scorer um, for £50 uh, and, and Gascoigne wants that money um, he wouldn't get it thanks to Jury's Cup final hat trick for that's and an earlier pod if you want to go back and listen to that. Um, he gets the ball, he scores very easily. I mean, Watt doesn't really move, uh, and Gascoigne takes his um, very well deserved ovation. Um, and it's clear now that everyone has relaxed. It's all ole ole, one Paul Gascoigne run, uh, ringing around the stadium. Um, Ian Durant comes on from uh, for a sentimental appearance maybe um, for Gordon Jury um, and McNee brings up the history of Aberdeen and Durant and it's always an emotional game for him good old Les Mottram only plays 45 seconds of injury time no point we are champions for the 8th time in succession the ninth time in 10 years and the 46th overall Walter Smith um, equals Bill Struth's record of 5 individual championships in a row but it's all really about one man here, he's carried shoulder high with the ball in his hands and he's, he's last to leave the field before they get ready for the presentation. I'm not a huge fan of coming out to get trophies and t-shirts, David, um, not entirely with the kids. Was, was this the first time that we had the t-shirts on or did that happen a couple of times before? No, we'd, uh, the t-shirts go back to to the first, uh, the first I remember is 86-87. 
with um, oh, um, Mick Roberts, Mick Butcher, uh, Mick Woods, uh, the, the English connection. Uh, no, I, I'm the same, especially not sponsor-led T-shirts, which this clearly is. Yeah. Um, McEwen's Lager, uh, to the four. Yeah, c- come out in your strip. Kids, I fucking hate. Um, I, I loathe that. I, I, any club uh, in the world... Get your wains to fuck. This is not a moment for your kids. This is a moment between you and us. We together have achieved this. You on the park, us in the stands, right? It's our moment and we don't want to see your fucking children and we don't want to see your wives. Go and celebrate your family afterwards. That's fine. But this moment is between us and you. And uh, I've had people say to me, and I'm sure they'll be in the comment section, oh, David, how can you say that? That's horrible. You know, the wee Wayne, what, what a moment it is for them. Fuck them. I've earned this. I've been through every fucking moment of this bastarding season. It's mine. It's the guy next to me. It's If it is those Waynes, then it's from the fucking comfort of the free ticket section. Um, and I, I will, to my dying day, I will stand behind the fact that it's not for kids. Sorry, I would ban it. And, and I'd like to see when we win 55, someone's appointed to say, no, the, the kids will need to wait up, so you need to be a minimum height to get on here. It'll be like a ride at Disneyland. No. <laughs> Just, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm behind that. Good. Just for the record, though, if we do win 55, Soon, um, Mrs. Johansson, you you are um, she's absolutely like, yes, welcome down the park absolutely. at any well, time. Well, she, she's played a vital role in it, so yes, yes. Um, let's talk about Jeremy McNee, Davey. Um, he had the News of the World column at the time, um, and things got quite personal with him and Gascoigne during that season. Um, he refused to actually call him by his name and just called him number eight. Um, he called him a thug. Um, and as a result, Gascoigne almost refused to speak to the media for a while. He certainly refused to speak to Radio Clyde in the build-up to the Scottish Cup semi-final. I remember that because of McNee. But in his commentator role, he is chuckling away here. He seems genuinely appreciative of this incredible talent. What, what is this split personality all about? Jerry McNee, and we can debate or whether or not this is to his credit, and I suspect strongly that it is in terms of his professionalism, whereas we will then talk on one half of his two roles, but we'll then talk about what it says about the other. Always managed to maintain the difference between Jerry McNee, the caricature journalist, and Jerry McNee, the football commentator. And I will say that for him that Mm -hmm. Jerry McNee, generally speaking, and watch this game back and watch others from the 90s, folks, Jerry McNee calls the game pretty much down the middle and pretty much opinionless. Um, As you say, maybe a harmless opinion, like, oh, he's not been in it as much today. Not anything, you know, there's no, oh, he's terrible, that's what you'd expect. None of that shit. He just commentates on the football match. And as you say, that day, a guy that he's had this long-running battle with in the press, he's being generous and fair and open-minded and correct in his description of him. And I do think that McNee adopted a completely different mindset when he got behind a microphone to commentate on a football match. I think he just saw himself as, I am here to commentate on this game, I am not here to give my opinion, which is, of course, what you would want uh, a commentator to do. Now, that then makes you think, well, how genuine was the stuff that he wrote? 
was that genuinely how he felt, or did he just have this amazing ability to put a mask on and, and not let it influence him? And if so, then that, as I say, is to his credit as a commentator. However, I'm not letting him off that easy because the stuff with Gascoigne was vile, and I, I, and I maintain this. To not refer to a guy by his name is an attempt to dehumanise him, and that's exactly what it was. It's an attempt to portray him as a caricature and per- portray him as somehow not even being worth the respect of having his name called to him. And Paul Gascoigne had never done anything to Jerry McNee for that to be the case. You know, you cannot like a guy as a footballer. We see it all the time. We all have players that we just instinctively dislike as football players. We've no right to take that out with the football arena unless they have done something out with the football arena um, that, that indicates it. And McNee did that, and he personalised it. And then he he wondered why Gascoigne was upset with it. Uh, but then the Scottish media at that time, and again because the Scottish media doesn't do, uh, doesn't do, looking back on itself in any way, they their treatment of Gaza was appalling. I remember that um, Bill Leckie in his column in the Daily Record at the time. Yes, although he would never admit to it now, Bill Leckie was in the Daily Record and used to write scathing things about the Sun. Um, Bill Leckie in his column would write in a sort of comedy viz Geordie accent and poke fun at Gaza's battle with alcoholism mm-hmm. now that's scummy behaviour that's just you just don't do that there's no need to do that you wouldn't do it for anybody else why are you doing it with him because you could because he's a Rangers player and therefore he's fair game because he's Gaza he's just this caricature he's not a human being I don't need to treat him with the respect I would treat a human being and it was vile and McNee was, was the leader for it and James Trainer was as bad James Trainer tried for ages to get the nickname the man child going yeah, it, yeah. It, it wouldn't take off because McNee had beaten him to it with number 8 but that was the level of coverage that the guy received. But, yes, to the original question, his commentary was fair. Um, and you couldn't even tell, actually, that he was a Tim. Because he was, as you say, laughing and chuckling away and saying how well he'd played and what a great season he had. He was just genuinely appreciative of, I think, the football that was being displayed. Um, it's almost as if columnists of any kind, especially football ones... Um, Treat it like a pantomime. Yeah, yeah. Well, people who have Plus, co- people who have controversial opinions for money to deadlines. Yeah, um, and it's probably fair to say that, that Gascoigne didn't make that distinction uh, because the following season he at Easter Road in a warm up um, launched a pinpoint accurate ball um, into the commentary box where McNee was. Um, McNee complained to Alistair Hood and treated it. As assault, and if I had my pen in my hand at the same, you know, at the time, it could have blinded me. Um, but again, that's a, a story for another day. Uh, Ali, um, coming to the world, many people thought we all thought um, it's possibly coming to the end of his, his Rangers career right there and then. Um, Walter was asked on the pitch, you know, what, what's the situation here? He seemed quite relaxed about it uh, he said I'm sure we'll come to some sort of arrangement I want Ali here next season he would in fact sign a new contract um, just uh, around the, the time of the cup final but he looks very emotional here as if this is my final title he looks miserable on a title party day lap of honour he looks absolutely miserable and he's got a Sunderland shirt on his back for some reason how 
how serious was this, David? Was there really any chance that he would leave and, and miss out on, on the night? Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, if you'd asked me to put money on it that day, I would have said that he would be leaving. Um, the following week, we played Kilmarnock, and I was at that game. We won 3-0, and Ali scored twice. And the, the away fans that they always sang to... I'm going to say to the to the tune of o- Oasis's uh, uh, "Hello" rather than the original <laughs> uh, tune. We sang, you know, "Hello, hello, Ali must stay, Ali must stay," and there was a genuine feeling of can't get rid of Ali McCoist, you know. He, even if he just stays as a sort of, you know, gonk, you know, like a ceremonial mascot, Ali for fuck's sake. Um, and that day again, that barely celebrated his goals, and. Yeah, it looked for all the world like he was going, and I I would have been heartbroken. I was heartbroken at the prospect of it, and I if you'd asked me that day, you know, David, here's twenty quid, go and put it on McCoy's leaving or staying. It would have been going on him leaving because it looked as though he was he was heading out the door. And 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 if you wanted to, you know, do the body language thing, then you're right. Just just watch him in the celebrations. He looks like it's his final his final time. He would, of course, stay for another couple of years. And you know, it wasn't just a, a ceremonial contribution he made. It, it was um, it was a significant one. If Gianluca Vialli had come, yeah, right, absolutely. I'm not if, entirely sure that he would have stayed. If Rangers get the slightly younger veteran, for want of a better term, then yeah, he probably would have been on his bike and we'd have missed out on, I think one of Ali's most underrated, greatest runs was the tail end of the 10 in a row season, when yep. by sheer force of personality, determination and love of the club, he dragged Rangers towards what should have been that title, and again, I think we win the Scottish Cup if Walter starts with him that day, but that's for another day. Indeed. Um, Gascoigne said after the game that the, the lads were, were pleased to be pushed by Celtic. Um, I think there's something in that. I think this game is just a perfect crystallisation of the season as a whole. We're put under pressure and then through individual brilliance, the likes of which no other club in the league has, we just wrestle the situation away with sheer will. Is that fair? Anyone who says that it wasn't more satisfying and more exciting than when we did the League One by March and the games didn't really matter and, you know... Back in the, you'll remember this, Martin, that the games when they were played at the same time and a cheer would go up because Celtic yeah. had, you know, we didn't have that for a few years because, oh, you know, somebody had scored against Celtic, so, you know, it, it, it didn't matter. And to then be pushed and it be a challenge and overcome it, of course it's more satisfying. Now, there are time throughout the season, <laughs> you don't want that to be the case, absolutely, but when you get there at the end, of course it means more because it was worth more. Because it was more difficult to to get. Rangers had to play to the end of the season and had to maintain a a good standard. And really the only side that season that was a thorn in our side was was Hearts. Um, As you say, the 3-0 and the 2-0. Golf in particular having a nightmare in the the 2-0 at uh, Tynecastle. Hearts were really the only side that for some reason thought they had the measure of us. um, But we would put that right in a couple of weeks. But Rangers had had to be better. They'd had to be uh, worthy champions as opposed to they could go at 70% for most of the season and then down tools in March, which, of course, had cost us a cup final before. 
where we'd done exactly Absolutely. that, yep. and then not been able to recover for the final for the final game. So, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that the re-emergence of Celtic as a genuine title contender was good for that Rangers team, and not only in terms of results. Look at the football we played, and look at the football we had to play, and the amount of memorable games. I just ask any bear of our age or, or above, go back and look at the amount of games you remember from, you know, five, six in a row, and then the amount of games you remember from eight, nine in a row. Well, this is exactly it. It leads me on to what I was, I was going to ask next. That This season's a departure, really. Um, the two before were, were kind of relatively disappointing. Um, we win the league, of course. That's that's never a bad thing. Um, but the low average point totals um, the season before were not out of every cup competition very early. Um, we were dependent very heavily on Mark Cately and then Brian Loudrop. But now we win the double. We play far better football. Uh, we have a more balanced shape. We record our highest points average for donkey's years. That's adjusting everything before then for you know three points for a win, etc. So the question I want to ask you, I want to ask the listeners, is what is the biggest factor here? The arrival of Paul Gascoigne to share that creative burden with Brian Loudrup or the fact that we actually have a title challenge and it's from Celtic, not Hearts or Aberdeen? I don't think you can underplay the Gascoigne effect because, of course, having a player who can do what he does is going to have an impact on how good you are to watch. I just I can't see how any team getting a Paul Gascoigne who hits form is not going to be easier on the eye. It just isn't possible. But if Paul Gascoigne doesn't have to hit those heights, does he? Is the demands or are the demands placed on him by Walter, for example, and Alan McLaren in the game, for example, <laughs> are they quite as much? Is Loudrop being asked to play at that level every week? Are the strikers being, you know, asked to play? Are the defence being asked to play at that level every week? And the answer, of course, is no. You'll do what you need to do. If Gascoigne had arrived, Rangers would have played better football, probably till about March, won the league, and then tossed about as that Rangers team did, because they would have been on the bevy from March um, until they had to come back for training for the next season. So. I think that while the Gascoigne factor has to be a huge consideration, picking one, then yeah, it's it's having a genuine title challenge from Celtic that goes to, if not the last day, then you know very close to it. Yeah, and again, immediately after winning the title, the talk on trackside in the commentary box in the the, the papers the next day is about the next season. And Hoggy and I touched on this when we, we did the Loudrop Cup final in episode five. The, the questions asked by Hazel Irvin on the pitch five minutes after winning the Cup were about, well, the pressure's on for next season. And the shadow of nine was probably on everything we did since since the end of 92-93. Mm. After then, it was really in people's minds that we could do this. Can you try and explain this kind of pressure to younger listeners who won't be able to appreciate winning a title and then everyone's saying, aye, well, it's not really worth much if we don't win the title next year. Well, remember the Gaza song at the start of the eight-in-a-row season? What was it? It was Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Gaza's here for ten in a row. So we haven't won eight yet. Yeah. Um, so the pressure to match Celtic was huge. I actually think too much because I think that once they got nine... 
they'd almost Oops. mentally, yeah, they, they mentally thought that was the the achievement rather than just another staging post to where we, we were going. Um, and I think they relaxed slightly and it cost us. In fact, I think they relaxed usually and it cost us. But, yeah, it, it was great to win the title. But for us, it wasn't about winning the title anymore. It was about winning 10. And, of course, we didn't do that. We did get the 9. And for the older Bears, to get 9 was enormous because they'd lived through... I hadn't lived through 9. Celtics 9. So, for me, it's just something in the, the history books. And it grates a bit, but it doesn't grate. It's like when Celtic fans try to taunt me about the European Cup, and I'm like, you didn't see it, I didn't see it. You know, fuck off. doesn't count. And... It wasn't as big a thing for me, but for older Bears, they were desperate. They wanted that. They wanted that. And you're right. Seven in a row was a staging post to ten. Eight in a row was a staging post to ten. Nine became, because the pressure of it, it was so intense and it was all anyone focused on. I think the estate of John Lennon must have made a fucking fortune of royalties from the song Number Nine Dream, which seemed <laughs> to be obligatory to be played every time a Rangers player appeared on the telly. And it just overwhelmed everything, and I think the fallout from it, I mean, it cost Bonzi's job, obviously. Um, the Rangers team, I think, didn't quite recover from that titanic um, title battle. But yes, for, for younger Bears, we've won the league, and it's not let's go party about winning the league, it's let's go party about getting closer to winning 10, which yeah. would, of course, be minimum two years hence. But right Seven in a row has been clinched. We sign this world-class, internationally renowned footballer, Paul Gascoigne, and the song that he's singing, that we're singing is about him winning the league in three years' time. And it wasn't like you know current Celtic fans talking about ten in a row, because it doesn't count, and they know it, and we, we know it. You know Everybody knows it. This one counted, this one mattered, and it, it was huge. And in the end, it was probably destructive for us, I'd say, Martin. Yeah, and that that might be a a, a conversation and a, a question for uh, for another pod. Um, one of the favourite things about the, the coverage of of that day, and I know you're a huge fan of Abba, Davy, um, was the the winner takes all um, outro, um, which was very enjoyable at the time uh, and still enjoyable uh, more than twenty years later. Mm. Um, mm. Thanks very much again for joining me on a trip through the archives. It's greatly appreciated. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was good to to go back and watch that game, a game that I hadn't given enough love to over the. Years. I'm, I'm like you, the goals, yep, um, but not the actual match, so it was great to, to go back and see it again. And thank you, listeners, for, for downloading uh, and joining in. Um, the feedback is always welcomed, um, especially to my friend Stevie, who phoned me last night to say he finally subscribed. Uh, I thought you'd be shite, mate, but you're actually very good. <laughs> um, so that, 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 that kind of feedback is always welcomed by anyone. Well, um, I've got some feedback for you. My wife said um, when I was um, editing... The, the one we did last week, my wife came into the room and she doesn't really listen to the to the shows because she's not a football fan and she as she says she gets to hear me talking pish with my mates about Rangers for twenty years so it, it, she doesn't really need to to get any more of it although I have made her subscribe but she came in and she went oh who, who's that and I said oh Martin you you don't know me I'm him and she said uh, oh he's he's got a lovely voice I said oh, I'll pass that on to him she said he sounds like Bryce Cundy the continuity announcer for STV in the 70s. And do you know what's most famous about Bryce Cundy, Martin? Nope. Bryce Cundy um, was famously treated at uh, Paisley REH Hospital, whatever it was called back then, for 
going in with a light bulb stuck up his arse? Well, one week it's Sir David Frost, and the next week it's a, a, a deviant. <laughs> he <laughs> might have fell on it. <laughs> We've only got one side of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, next week um, I hope to have a, um, a debut guest uh, with me as we will go back to probably the last time that we walked out of Ibrox on a Champions League night, truly believing that, that we could um, we could be one of the big dogs. Um, I'll leave the final words with our player of the year and our greatest number eight. I've had 14 operations and I deserve it more than anyone. I've not backed the critics. I knew how good I was. So did we, Paul. So did we. Ivan Martin Ramsey, until next week, bye for now.